This podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to We're Not Over Six Feet Under, the podcast where we talk about the aughts most morose TV show about a Gen Xer and a funeral home and mortality, episode by episode, spoiler free. I'm your host, Jenna Shearer. I'm a writer, editor, and pop culture critic. And I'm your other host, Caroline McGraw. I'm a playwright and screenwriter. This week, we're so excited to welcome Eric Sheathar to the show. Eric is a creative producer, performance curator, and general girl about town who currently oversees the artistic development programs of Off-Broadway's Ars Nova Theater. As a dramaturg, he's collaborated with artists such as Oliver Butler, Aaron Markey, and Young Jean Lee. He has re-entered into a microphone at the Bell House, lip-synced at an astrology zine launch party, and been retweeted by Deborah Messing. Thanks so much for being here, Eric. Thank you so much for that intro. That was so thorough. Eric, will you tell us just a little bit about your, or a lot of it, about your relationship <laughs> to the television program, Six Feet Under? I would love to. Um, one thing that the bio did leave out that you do know is that I am famously young. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it is famous and it is upsetting. Yes, yes. Noted I, young person. Noted and upsetting young person. Um, um, we don't want to know how old Eric is. I'm, I will just, I'll be very enigmatic about it. I will say that when I started watching this show, it was with my family. Um, I had a couple years on Claire. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Uh, yep. And, but I had beat David to coming out. Um, wow. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, so this is a show that we would watch as a family on DVDs that we got from Netflix. So I would imagine we started watching it sometime around when the fourth or fifth season was airing. Okay. God. I was trying to think. I was like, when does Netflix start but it was like one of those like kind of early adult things that I like latched on to mm-hmm. um, where I was like, I love this. Rewatching it, I'm like, what the hell did I think of many of these sequences? I'm very interested in your take on some of the uh, gay cultural touchstones yes. of the series and of this episode. And I wish I could have asked myself when I was originally watching them because I'm sure they like damaged me in kind of subconscious <laughs> ways that I'll never fully recover from. Um, what I will say is that generally I think what really resonated in the show is it's about in part, uh, a queer person trying to articulate his sexuality in close um, confines with his family, mm-hmm. which is something mm-hmm. that I was like literally doing at a very different age point in stage. Sure. But um, <laughs> the fact that they all live at home and are like yep. trying to be their own people and yeah. both included in that was something that I think adolescent me, it was directly relatable, even though there's many yeah. things, especially in this episode, that were wildly unrelatable. That kind of yeah. pressure cooker of an environment, I think I really um, was drawn to and saw a lot of parallels. Uh, great. So let's uh, let's get into this yeah. episode here. So this week we're talking about season one, episode nine, Life's Too Short, which originally aired on July 29th, 2001 very summary. Um, This episode was written by Christian Taylor and directed by Jeremy Pedeswa. And Jeremy Pedeswa, interestingly, when I was looking him up, also directed a lot of episodes of Queer as Folk. I mean, the skill set was copied and pasted. I mean, all all the club scenes, it like literally looked exactly like season one of Queer as Folk, which he, he, so he directed an episode of Queer as Folk like a few months after he directed this episode. Uh, we open the episode uh, with an old friend, Gabe Demas. Mm-hmm. 
it's directed a little like, will Gabe be the death of the week? Yeah. I think even as I was watching it, I was like, I don't remember. Does Gabe die here? I don't think he does. Gabe is playing video games and his uh, idiot friend who is played by Tim Sharp, who was on Enlightened, is there and he has he has some weed for Gabe. And uh, Gabe kicks uh his little brother anthony out of his room i didn't really grow up with like siblings in the same house but it didn't strike me as particularly like monstrous like just like typical big brother bully behavior right yeah like teen just teen stuff yeah so they're rolling joints and anthony is sort of wandering around oh we learn anthony is six so anthony finds a gun in his mother's room wrapped in a towel i mean we don't actually ever see the gun, correct? No, we don't. I think Which we is see interesting. Like a yeah, we see a, a roll thing. We see him take it out and start opening it, and then it cuts to the other room, and we hear a gunshot. Um, yeah, it's very reticent in terms of like the events of it. Yeah, um, and mm-hmm. the entire episode is reticent about this body in a way that yes. it has never been before. In a way yeah. that I think is actually quite moving. Um, yeah, yeah. The way it treats the body visually is really beautiful and sad. It's a lot of negative space, um, yeah. even as it tell as it gives us these little things yeah. um, and people's reactions mm-hmm. that parts. tell far more and are, for me, way more impactful than if it went whole hog, like it does with many of its other gruesome bodies in a kind of macabre way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this we hear this gunshot and we see Andy and Gabe kind of rush to the room and they stop outside the door and Gabe's reaction is so... Eric Belfort is doing some really good oh, work yeah. in this. He he just like starts screaming, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Andy's out of there. He wants to take the drugs. He's getting out of there. Andy's a real uh, real piece of shit. He sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. it's. I, I'd say it's definitely like the most horrifying death to date. And then we get the white screen of death for Anthony Christopher Finelli, 1994 Oof. to 2001. God. Oof. So we open on David... He's sewing on a body. By the set of his jaw, you can tell he's in a mood. He's like, whoever comes in this door, I'm going to yell at them about nothing. Nate comes in wearing a terrible shirt. David tells him that the funeral director's licensing exam results were posted and that Nate failed. I get why David's mad, but he's also kind of a jerk about it. Like, Nate's like, I didn't even know that. And I'm really disappointed in myself. And David's like, well, I'm more disappointed in you. There's no kind and loving words from David. David has been so mean lately. Oh, yeah. And he's having sex. So according to the law of David, he should be in a good mood. <laughs> I know. And then so speaking of people David is having sex with, <laughs> Stephen Pasquale is here. Yep. He's square dancing. Uh, Nate says David should sleep with him. And I wrote down he has, and he's still in a bad mood, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> I do love this moment because it, it does ring very true of, like, weird straight guy enthusiasm about sex their gay friends are having. Yep. This mm-hmm. kind of, like, big ally energy. Yep. Um, it's certainly, like, um, <laughs> compounded by the fact that they're brothers, but, like, Yay. not in a way that, like, actually creeps me out. I was just like, I was like, oh, God, Nate. But it's an oh, God, and, like, a very... It was a recognizable thing. I was like, yes, sure. I have been the yes. recipient of that kind of beaming energy of tolerance that can give you a sunburn, you know? Yeah, totally. He's trying really hard. You know, David is so much about trying to keep his private life quartered from yeah. his mm-hmm. his work life. And Nate is just at every moment just reaching over that aisle in a way that I think falls on completely deaf ears. So Ruth and Hiram are together. Uh, Ruth is tying up the collar on her 
tightest dress from Talbot's. I I wrote that this dress looks like str- like wallpaper that she like stripped off a motel wall and then she sort of like strangles herself <laughs> yeah. with it. That's that's accurate. That's Which I accurate. think is like the look she's actually going Absolutely. for, genuinely. Over her shoulder, she sees Nate Sr., the ghost of Nate Sr., sitting on the bed watching her. And then when she looks around, it's Hiram. Yeah. Hiram is like, it's our two-year anniversary. Do you want to go camping? And Ruth's like, we don't do anniversaries. And Hiram, just this whole episode is just like one energy of just like, I want to be like very romantic with you. And Ruth is just like, "Ah." I think that she's like, yeah, we started as an affair I have anniversaries with my husband, Mm -hmm. not you. And I think that this isn't forbidden anymore. And I think that she's starting to see that maybe some of the, you know, some of what drew her to Hiram was that it was, it was illicit. He's boring now. He's really, I mean, and I I love camping and I would love if like, you know, I could find like a partner who would cook for me because I fucking hate cooking. Yeah. But like, oh my God, he's just like, like a avalanche of like rose petals that are like kind of stale it's very prefabricated you know i mean i think the conflation of nathaniel senior and him is not a coincidence you know like um that all of a sudden she's like oh fuck did i just like supplant one person in this role for another Mm -hmm. um as opposed to actually like think about what i want in my life um which is very real Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely in the next scene, it's the brothers doing intake with Gabe and yeah. uh, and Vicky Demas, uh, Gabe and Anthony's mother, um, and it's really fucking hard. Like she's a shell, and Gabe is sort of speaking for her because he has to, and he's a kid, he's a teenager. Mrs. Demas does not want an open casket, yeah, for Anthony, which like fair a fucking enough. Yeah. Claire comes down the stairs and she sees Nate like kind of patting Gabe on the back and he sees he leaves and Claire's like what the fuck? Why why is he here and what's happening? And then she runs out a minute later having learned the truth and you know uh, says how sorry she is to him. I mean it's addressed in her arc throughout but like what do you do when a fuck boy has a tragedy happen in his life. Yeah, you know, like yeah. how do you reconcile the fact that he's like probably not a great person, yeah. but mm-hmm. also like uh, is going through one of the worst things a family can go through? I feel like you can see her, and we'll talk about her scenes, but like I feel like you can see her over the course of the episode be like, I can save him. Like you see yeah. her eyes get wide with the prospect of like being a savior for and him. being needed. Yes. Because Claire never feels needed. Yes, that's true. She's always like, people are always making demands on Nate and, and David. But with Claire, they're like, oh, Claire, you go off and you're just going to fuck things up. Yeah. So like Gabe, like coming along and being like, I am broken. She's like, oh my God, like I can, someone needs me. Gabe's support system is kind of non-existent. And so I think it's this dangerous thing where people are telling her the real thing, which is that like, um, this is a pattern that you're about to fall into. And also maybe he actually doesn't have anyone else. And so I think she's kind of the whole time being like, is this just me caving into my usual things? Or am I actually seeing someone who it's my responsibility? Um, And maybe mine alone, because there's just no one else who's going to step up. So then after we have the Claire and Gabe scene, I just wrote, Nate, fuck off. What did Nate do? Nate said, sometimes you don't want to work any harder oh. in relation to the closed casket. This is probably my heaven can't. This Nate is my heaven can't. I'm actually reserving mine for the end of the episode. Okay, but great. I, com- great. I completely understand and great. I almost wanted to splurge. He's, he just turns on David and he's like, oh, did you did you like agree to the closed casket because you're lazy and you don't want to reconstruct oh this God. child's ruined oh face? God. 
And David uh, says, it's not our job to force someone to do something they're clearly not ready to do because we think it's the right thing. Yes. The Fisher boys like to kind of tussle over uh, ethics versus profit yeah. in this way, yes. um, it, which is it does feel very much about David defending his turf yeah. and Nate demonstrating himself as um, a kind of like productive member of yeah. this business and this family, even though he's completely wrong and has no fucking ground to stand on. Nope. No. <laughs> In the next scene, we have Ruth in the flower shop with uh, a guy with werewolf hair. He's also got like a puka shell necklace. He sure does. And he's sending vengeance flowers. It's such a funny little scene. It's just like a little slice of life at the flower shop. Um, In the next scene, um, Nikolai is here. And uh, Ruth asks him for uh, the next few days off so she can go camping with Hiram. She's a terrible liar. Oh, yeah. And Nikolai is being a real jerk, and he's making fun of Hiram's electric car. Do you know that Ed Begley Jr. is known IRL for having an electric car? I did not know that. I actually think he's been mocked for it on several television programs. I love Nikolai in this scene. A taste of Nikolai is what I can do. Um, So Nate goes over to Brenda's house. Billy is there. Well, people have to start saying Billy is here. Like when he comes in and Brenda is like, I'm in the shower or whatever she says, say Billy's here. Oh, look, I have an easy solution. Like later we see Ruth packing a bear bell for her trip. Just take the bear bell <laughs> and put it on Billy. So you'll know whenever he's coming from like two rooms away. They eat takeout together. And Billy says that Anthony, uh, the, Gabe's little brother dying was on the news, which would love to live in a world where that was news. There is something yeah. incredibly devastating about this rewatch in yeah. terms of how much more political it feels yeah. in yeah. a terrible thinking way. I actually can't imagine a television show centering this in that way no, anymore without it having kind of weird um, apologies or compensations. No, I mean, I think at the time this probably read as not at all political. Yes. What Billy gets into and what they sort of, he and Nate sort of argue about is like, Billy says it's bad parenting. The gun is like the... Not the least of his worries, but his thing is that, like, people shouldn't have kids. It's a very general neglect thing. I just go to some people just shouldn't be parents. Yeah, Um, yeah. Billy is is going off about different funerary traditions for dead children in various countries around the world because he's been reading up about funeral traditions to show off Nate. But Brenda sort of stops the whole conversation uh, when she talks about that we don't have a word for a parent that loses a child. Yeah, even though we have a word for, you know, somebody who loses their spouse or a child who loses a parent. I just, for this next scene, wrote, we're at a club with Kurt and David. Eric, Um, over to you. I I mean, I think there's no better way to introduce this this thread than the logline from HBO Go uh, for this part of the episode, which is, and this is actually a later sequence, but the terminology is just chef's kiss. Um, (laughs) David and his new boyfriend run into Keith and his new partner on the disco circuit. (laughs) Bring me the head of the heterosexual person (laughs) who watched this episode and wrote that for their job for HBO's website. I was just like, there's literally like six different kinds of anachronisms. I love these these moments because there was truly no gay bars to these shows. There was just the mega club. And that was it. And you would just go full force into that. Um, It's like nothing or poppers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. For David, and, you know, they talk about this explicitly during the episode, like David has not had the sort of 
being in his teens or 20s and coming out experience. Has David ever been to a gay bar that is not this type of place? Okay, so here's a question I've had. How long were Keith and David supposed to have been together before they broke up? You know, that's actually a great question. I don't think they ever say. They don't. And there's there's the kind of hovering, I want you to meet my friends. Yeah. And I couldn't tell how reasonable or unreasonable each one was being because yeah. it kind of depends if they've been together for a year and, D- and David hasn't met Keith's friends that's a problem yeah. or it's, is Keith being pushy I literally couldn't tell it felt like six months yes. yeah, I, right I agree me. that it felt like several months yeah so they dance in a gay club is what I wrote down yeah I mean it's it's so funny I, I truly forget that Michael C. Hall is a heterosexual um, right oh okay uh, it's, this is not my hill to die on that you know only queer performers should play queer yeah. parts but mm-hmm. I, I in my notes and I stand by it Michael C. Hall can say faggot you know like he's okay. he's really good in this role and like he I is. know this mm-hmm. character and but there is something also profoundly goofy in this scene in particular of these two straight men pretending to be yes. on MDMA yeah. he uh, supplies David with a pill yes um yeah. Kurt is very, I wouldn't even say he's aggressive, but he knows what he's like, this is what we're doing. This is what I want to do. Let's go. So after the club, the next morning. Cut to. Cut to. David's hangover. It's a hangover, but it's also like a drug withdrawal. And I have I have a lot of dramaturgical questions Please about. Ask um, them. This is a safe space yeah. for that. Yeah, you know, it's like, did David just consume one pill of MDMA? Because if he was mainlining water, he should not be as rough as he Got was. It. You no, know, like he should be fine. Yeah, right? like maybe the next day he would be in a funk. But I was like, yeah. girl, what else did you do? Which knowing Kurt, maybe there were other things. Well, that's you know? true. Yeah. Um, I mean, if or, he if he had a bunch of like booze too, right. but we only see him drinking water. Or maybe, but or maybe it was just like he's not used to operating on little sleep. Right. It's just it's the the show has um very funny perceptions yeah. of all drugs this drug in particular totally in this episode like it does like five different things absolutely. to different people absolutely. that is very true it is it is really kind of like a miracle drug and i i can't tell if that's just um lack of knowledge or that there's just this temptation yeah. to use it i mean it does become a device yeah. um which i adore the device actually and oh, i like where it takes us but yeah it does feel like they were like well most people wouldn't know so we can just kind of like we can do whatever it could yeah. do that yeah. um that's what it felt like but yeah david's looking real rough he looks bad he looks um like he was sprayed with uh crisco yes <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. he's very sweaty and can barely talk and then we're in the school cafeteria yes Love an interior in the school. You don't yes. get them for a while, and then and now they're here. Claire goes up to Andy, who's like talking shit with some other kids, and asks how uh, Gabe is doing. And Andy's just like, I don't know. When he's like regaling them with a tale of like, well, then I had to get my weed out of there. It's like he's the hero. Yeah, like he was yeah. like he was like I was so smart and getting the drugs out before the cops came. It's so terrible. And then he calls Claire Morticia, which like clearly she's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that uh, Parker's promiscuity, which we heard a lot about in the last episode, has uh, come to Claire's rescue yes. because she knows something about Andy's testicle, which is that it's small and shrunken like a peanut. This this scene is part of what made me think about uh, how isolated Gabe is yeah. by mm-hmm. virtue of like, I think being a man is the is what the um, idea is and how concerned the show is with boys. Um, yeah. And yeah. like, it, even when you look at the deaths we've encountered thus far, mm-hmm. by and large, the women's have been played for more dark humor. Yes, that's very um, true. And the men's deaths have been these kind of crises of masculinity and support yeah, in a yeah. way that I did not remember that being a thing about the first season. And watching point. it, and I was just like, it's just like 
but what about the boys? Um, in specific and interesting ways. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. except for that guy who falls into the bread mixer. Yes, but no, you're absolutely right that like, like even the last episode with Chloe York, and it's like she's having a girls' night, and then her face gets smashed. Like it, she's just treated purely as a prop. Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the uh, Vivica St. John. Yeah. Is also treated. I mean, she she gets a little bit more to do with David, but like she's also you know played for laughs. It's about her boobs. Yeah, it's yeah. about her boobs, and it's about like David's gay, and he doesn't know who a woman porn yeah. star is. Yeah. But I I think I like this because I think it's it's real. Of yeah. like they, this, these are the kinds of relationships that this kind of teenage boy has surrounded himself with, yeah. which mm-hmm. are completely useless when yeah. it comes to anything of gravitas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I feel like Claire is realizing. That's the, the journey of her is trying to figure out, am I actually the only one? Does this all fall on me? Or are there other people that I maybe don't know about? And the answer is no, because yeah. all these boys are trash. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that the show will probably get more into this as it goes on, but like the fact that uh, Claire now has somebody else who has recently lost a family member. Yeah. Yeah. Like, totally. I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I could see her being feeling very connected to. The scene with Parker for me is an odd note. Yes. Because mm-hmm. it seems like Parker's only understanding of what Claire might offer Gabe is to fuck him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Parker is, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. She uses the phrase emotional rape. Right. Here. Yeah. Wildly out of pocket, Parker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hasn't aged well. I don't think it, it came out well at the time. No, probably. no, no. This no. wasn't something. Parker just, she does feel like it's like we need someone for Claire to talk to who's her own age. Mm-hmm. We need someone who is sort of like, not on her because Parker's not on Claire's level, but we need someone who's also like very smart and like yeah. on the surface hyper articulate. And disaffected. And disaffected. But Parker just doesn't, like, don't take Parker's advice. Parker was fucking the Outward Bound guy last episode. Well, and Parker feels like one of those people who gives advice because they like the feeling of giving advice. Not because they have any position that is worth hearing their vantage point from, but just loves being like, oh, sweetie, that'll be emotional rape. And it's like, wait, what does that actually mean? No, yeah, yeah. Those are just words. I feel like I'm less, I'm farther away from the situation (laughs) after hearing her analyze it, you know? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, when you're 16 and you hear somebody who's like, I'm going to say something authoritatively. You're like, oh, they must be right. Totally. And the thing is, is that Parker, much like a stopped clock, is right that, like, Gabe was a dick to... She sort of says Gabe is a dick generally. Gabe was a dick to Claire. Mm-hmm. He was terrible to her. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, she's, she She doesn't not have a point. Yeah. But she says it in a terrible way. We cut to the Fisher kitchen. Mm-hmm. David is... David is seeking relief via aspirin. Mm-hmm. And then also, I guess, just puts his hand in his pocket and has this kind of, like, hazy flashback oh my God. of Kurt... Giving him two pills um, for later. And I'm just like, what does that mean? <laughs> what, and also, for like, you know, a pick me up in the morning. Before yeah, it's just like, anything. it'd be one thing if they were like benzos, you know, like if, but it's yeah. like, here are two more things that you absolutely should not take tonight. And like, just, I mean, what a dream, you know, like Hold I on to had them. a very warped expectation of pills just being foisted upon you at these clubs, you know, like this is not how it goes. I'm glad because as a square, I was like, <laughs> what's happening? People who are out past 11 p.m., what's happening out there? I'm glad to know that I'm not missing. The- no, but this is a great point. And then also later, David will not be able to find the pills and he'll be like, I was supposed to bring them Just with me. It's like me. an organizational nightmare. Yeah. Of like, I'm going to I'm gonna have our drug supply for our next date, uh-huh. um, not with me, with yes. my other square person uh-huh. so that he can bring them. It's like, yes. are the cops searching your car right now? Yeah. Is David being a drug mule? 
one of my favorite devices that when I rewatched it, I don't understand how the plausibility ever passed anyone's muster. Uh But I love the device because then Ruth comes in and he stashes the two remaining pills in an aspirin bottle in a kind of of guilty um, knee-jerk response. And then it's like pill Russian roulette. Exactly. It's Chekhov's ecstasy. (laughs) And I do go on to love this about the show. Um, Although revisiting the actual origins of it, I was like, say what? No. And also the direction is so strange because it's like... It's like, this is important. Totally. Yeah. And you're like, we couldn't have seen this before. Right. Why is this a f- why is this some sort of Proustian flashback that totally. like he's touching these pills? And then he's like, I remember when the thing was happening. It's very ecstasy bizarre. is a Madeline. Yeah, no, I mean why? it's many things in this yeah. e- it, it is actually everything in this episode. Yes. So it's not surprising That's that true. it's one of the things it is. Right. That's Anyways, true. yes, that was a it's a great head scratcher that will become important later on. In the next scene, we get Brenda and Nate driving, and Brenda cooks up, speaking of people who say things authoritatively, even though they have very bad ideas. Uh, Brenda has sort of come up with um, a scheme to get Nate better acquainted with the funeral business, which is that they're going to go visit three random funeral homes and pretend to have recently lost someone. It's manic pixie dream Brenda time. We haven't had this in a few episodes, but when Brenda's like, I figured something out that's going to fix your life mm-hmm. and I'm going to help you with it. Like yeah. it's, I actually think this is sort of, we'll we'll get into the individual scenes. I don't hate this. <laughs> <laughs> do, you um, think it's, do you think it's a good idea? No. <laughs> Once it starts happening, I kind of think it's it's amazing. You know, and, I, and I do appreciate a partner who is, um, thinking of fun date ideas you know like I I do think we can get into our routines with significant others and I do appreciate someone who's gonna propose new ventures so so then after the the Brenda and Nate go and funeraling Claire tries to track down Gabe against Parker's uh murky advice um murky but spirited it's it's important to say that's actually a great description of Parker generally yes so uh, Claire goes to visit Gabe and Mrs. Demas is uh, sitting in a room by herself smoking. And looking very, very, very sad. F- I mean, fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn about this. I think it is probably very realistic. Um, and I also wish this actor had more to do the yes. entire episode yeah. than to just weep, which I feel like women are unfortunately often asked to do yeah. as their role. It's, it's one of those things where I'm like, do I want this arc to be something it's not um right yeah but but it's making a point and that's this woman is completely devastated in the shell of herself and i think that's absolutely a valid response and one that i buy whatever billy may say or anybody else may say we don't really know what kind of mother she i mean the gun thing is extremely careless but like other than that we don't know what kind of mother she is emotionally mm-hmm. she's not there for gabe no maybe not that she I, who could be we I know guess, we but... also know that um gabe and anthony have separate fathers yes 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 yes, yes, yes that's right so, well, next we have, I, I actually really love this because you kind of see this like mosaic throughout the episode of David cleaning Anthony's body. Oh, is it him? It is. And yes. you don't. I didn't. They, I didn't. But, it's, but the, you, there's a reason you don't know. Yes. Yeah. Because it, it shows because they're very like, I think rightly and tastefully not showing yeah. this child's body. You just see pieces of him. So you just yeah. see him uh, just washing his hands. It's brushing the nails. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. With a bowl of bloody water that he's clearing out. I didn't. I know that we see later. We see some of the soccer uniform. Yes, yeah. The way it's shot is very intentional and very subtle and very beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think um, mm-hmm. in yeah. terms of how it's related to how 
the camera gazes at the other corpses. Yes. And especially, I don't, I think this is the first time we've really seen like a washing of a body. Yeah. yeah. It's, feels... it's, there's something very ritual like about it. Yeah. I feel like it connects to Billy's tirade in some way that oh, this, yeah. this Western thing is actually probably not that different than some of these other rituals. Even yes. though Billy had this kind of uh, binary as he does yeah. mm-hmm. um, that got him very righteous. But there was something very meditative and very respectful about. And David has always been in many ways. Well, that's the thing. David again and again walks the walk he really does believe this Nate sort of sees it as this very like a little more and I say woo woo as like a catch all for like he sees it as something that's like a little more spiritual and diffuse but but David sees it as a duty yeah and he really does I, I think it's really admirable and it's something that I love about the character is that like for whatever we know that he's had this complicated relationship with his father and maybe this wasn't what he wanted to do, he's not doing it halfway. Yeah. I mean I think, you know, the the show is interested mostly in the question of whether this is a calling for Nate. And yeah. Nate is interested in that question. Yeah. But I think that there's almost no question that this is a calling for David. Yeah. Like it comes very naturally to him. It I mean, even though, you know, he has regrets about not going to law school. Um, I think like scenes like this make it very clear that David is like, yeah, that he views it as a duty, that he sees it as something that he can give to the world. Um, Speaking of Nate and funeral homes. Contestant number one. So they're meeting with contestant number one. It's a guy in his 50s who's a little kind of, he's a little toothy. He looks sort of what like a child's vision of like a cartoon funeral director would be. He's like the anti-Nate Senior. Yes. He he has a sort of like, Nate Senior has like a spirit of fun. Oh, and I mean, it's, you know, he's a ghost too, but like Nate Senior's kind of irreverent. He's wry about him. Yeah. And this guy's like, I'm fun, but he's not fun. No. Brenda says that her both her parents died in a helicopter accident, which is pretty funny, this actually. This morning. <laughs> this morning. And then this guy, she doesn't like his attitude. Well, and she like she really gets into like fake crying yeah. and like, screaming. And you can see Nate being like, oh my God, this is a little freaky, like how good you are at this. Yeah. He suggests matching caskets. Oh, yeah. And Brenda immediately breaks character. It's pretty like, good. Struts out. Earning that Emmy nomination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I this is one of my favorite Brenda moments of, of the episode. Oh, my God. So next. Ugh. So I uh, have a lot of thoughts about camping and how it's portrayed on television. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah, because I go camping. Uh-huh. Like Hiram. No, I camp better than Hiram. But I don't know. He's making. He looks like he's making mashed potatoes. He d- I, I, I don't. don't <laughs> I don't eat as well when I'm camping. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which fair, is fair, fair. It's, a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um. But so last episode we had just clearly empty backpacks. Yep. Like people course. just like camping with like long hair. This is a good episode for camping verisimilitude. Oh. So Ruth is laying out the supplies they need in the kitchen, and she's going through everything. They have a bear bell that is admittedly a huge fucking bear bell. Yeah. Like I think she stole it off a cow. Yeah. But. <laughs> Like they have the stuff that they like will need to go camping and Hiram is a little like calm down with the organization and he says he brought champagne and <laughs> says Hiram that's just decadent which <laughs> yeah. is like yes that's the literal point of champagne right? <laughs> raised above a barbershop with legless grandmother. There we yeah. go that's how you get there. This scene begins the dance of the aspirin bottle. Claire comes in and she's pretty depressed and I think Ruth should be living her life her 16-year-old daughter who lost her father looks real sad. Yeah. Don't seem to notice or care. Oh. Nope. And she also comes in when Hiram and Ruth are talking about their anniversary. Oh, which that's is like right. Ugh. I think it's kind of a gotcha moment for Ruth. Yeah. yeah. That's distracting her from um, her daughter's emotional well-being, Ugh. say. But God. also from Claire's perspective, like that's got to be kind of jarring to hear. 
like the two year anniversary of when I started, you know, cheating, cheating on, on your, your father. father. Yeah. Um, but Claire does take an aspirin. Yes. But maybe, I don't know, is it an aspirin? We would know if it was not, yes. is what I would say. It is absolutely an aspirin. Yeah. This is the scene where Ruth says, my children don't need me anymore. Claire does. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Claire she's, does need you. She's basically wearing a sign that's like, I need my mother. Yeah. Even though I'm pretending not to. Yeah. But that's that's part of being a parent is like, sometimes your kids are going to be like, I don't need you. And you're not supposed to be like, oh, chill. Okay. <laughs> Gotta go. So we're in the second funeral home in Brenda's uh, tour. And a real creepy dude is pitching a funeral. Swindler guy, like $20,000 funeral. And then Nate is able to kind of flex his expertise because he's like, the graveyard you suggested is in a gross area of town. You've marked up the casket by thousands of dollars and you suck. I'm kind of into Nate in this scene. Yeah, me too. Brenda likes it too. Uh, The next scene is Brenda and Nate uh, in the car, presumably going to funeral home number three. Nate says, Sometimes I wish I could be this completely selfish asshole who didn't give a shit about anything. Your wish came true, Nate. Nate. I got news for you. Wish bigger, honey. You yeah. know, like yeah. And then next we have Claire is leaving the funeral home, and then Gabe is just outside. Mm-hmm. He's just hanging out outside, and he has uh, Anthony's soccer uniform for him to be buried in in a paper bag. <sighs> There's something it's incredibly like the detail of the paper bag. There's something yeah. just so like kind of tender and vulnerable and I'm not prepared for this about it. Yeah, I mean I feel like all of their scenes um have this really delicate, painful dance yeah. of again, this question of intimacy and what's too close or what's close enough. Both because I think Claire is trying to figure out what she wants to do about it, but also because I think she doesn't know what she has the right to do in terms yeah. of comforting him. Um yeah. Uh, it's kind of incidental that she has this access to this part of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%, percent Because yeah. it was just kind of reflex for them to go to a funeral home that they had used before. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think she is um, kind of in her most respectful mode that we've seen her yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and the scenes are awkward and tentative, but um, in a really uh, like lovely way. Yeah. Well, and so she brings him inside and they, they talk about his mom and Gabe is blaming himself. And... You know, I guess he should have been watching him more, but like, it's not it's his just fault. Just not his no, fault. That gun thing is not his fault. I can totally understand why he's blaming himself, but Absolutely. it is yes. not his fault. Well, um, and it's again, it's a thing where like, I don't think his mom has tried to offer him any salvo of like, no, no, it's not your fault, or this is not the time to be thinking about it. You know, she just is in her own world. Uh, he talks about uh, that they can't find Anthony's dad, who right. was a drunk and who was abusive to them. Um, and I think at this point, they've sort of given up on trying to find him to tell him that his son has died. Yeah. Also, Gabe apologizes, or he's trying to apologize to Claire. He's, he says, like, you know, I, when people call you cemetery girl. Vampira is the other one. Cemetery Girl is the least creative. That is the first thing in the writer's room that goes up on the board, and then you have to come up with other ones, and they didn't. No. (laughs) Cemetery Girl and Vampira, teenagers, or or teenagers as written by 40-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. Not not creative. So Hiram and Ruth are camping, and Hiram is very extra. And Ruth is all about hanging the bear bag, (laughs) which I don't know if you guys know about bear bags. Tell us. 
So when you go camping, especially in California where there's grizzlies who will right. fuck you up, yeah. um, you have to you have to keep your food separate from the tent. So you either get like a canister to put it in, like a bear canister, which is like basically like a giant bucket you have to carry around, which is very heavy. Or you put it in a bag and then you tie it to a tree and you hang it high up enough. Hmm. Ruth is very concerned about bears. Yeah. Um, well, and she's going to see one later. This is the point that I feel I should say that I myself have had a bear encounter in the woods. Say more. Um, well, my family and I, uh, we were hiking in the Shenandoah wilderness on the Appalachian Trail, and okay. everybody was like, bears, 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 watch out for bears, Okay. which we were. Black bears, which are like, probably won't kill you. They just oh. basically want to be left alone, but they could easily kill you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like hiking probably like a quarter mile ahead of the rest of my family, because it was like the second day. I was singing Hedwig and the Angry Inch, mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden I heard a roar, and I looked to my right, and like just off the path in the trees was a bear, like just staring at me. And I thought, this is how I die. But I didn't die. Wait, what happened though? Did, did it approach you? It stared at me. Did you make a noise? Well, my first instinct was to run, which you should not do. But Uh, fortunately, I was carrying a very actually heavy pack. Oh, got it, got it. And I had a moment to think. And you're supposed to be loud and make yourself big. So the thing that I naturally did without even thinking about it was just go, a bear. Which is true. Which is true true. and accurate. And in case the bear didn't know. And then I just like made myself really big with like my camping poles. Oh, and, wow. And I, and I like walked slowly away backwards making noise until How I like, found my sister. This was last summer. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you're a survivor is what you're saying. I'm a survivor. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like we buried the lead here. <laughs> wow. So you support Ruth's paranoia is what I you're st- saying. I totally yeah. support Ruth's bear- yeah. paranoia. Paranoia. Okay. Got it. So... In this next scene, which is my favorite Brenda moment of the episode. So we meet Rosemary, who is our last funeral director, and she seems very lovely, very calm, has a good energy. Whose funeral are they going to be pretending to plan? Oh, it's Brenda's. And she brought a cancer scarf, which I think she's worn this scarf in previous episodes when she's like cleaning the house. Well, here's my question. Do you think that when she left the house that morning to pick up Nate, knowing she was going to have him do this, that she was like, let me pack yes, my absolutely. cancer scarf? Oh, 100%. Okay. Honestly, I bet there were other costumes that she didn't get to. Yes. You know, like I bet there were there's a bag of looks that she could have gone all day. Um, Rosemary does not know that, that she is being gently fooled and is very uh, serious about it and says she understands why somebody would want to plan their own funeral. Nate is so mad, which is kind of amazing because Brenda just uses it to be like, he doesn't want to me to plan my own funeral it's really she's yes anding yeah yes yeah he's just like i can't do this it's so fucked up and the funeral director is like yes it is very difficult when we have to make these choices for ourselves i'm completely obsessed with this funeral director i want her to get a spinoff later in the series we will see some other funeral directors you don't see a lot of female funeral directors yeah it's a Um, lot of it's a lot of what we've seen previously like dudes in their 50s in suits so i love her she's Um, great i think we all have a lot to learn from her i think if she had gotten her own show i would have watched it yeah oh yeah i mean there's still time so they're in the car leaving rosemary's funeral home nate is super pissed off and says you know that wasn't funny and brenda says that it wasn't meant to be funny 
his line is that was the most fucked up thing you've ever done to me which i think is arguable actually um you know <laughs> i actually that's don't actually think a it crowded is. category i wouldn't throw that around around her that casually no i'd say maybe like top five sure what do you guys think is the most fucked up thing so the far? the parents dinner for me was a lot yes okay yep. absolutely mm-hmm. i was gonna say either the parents dinner or i was gonna say uh sleeping with a nude man yeah no i think parents dinner was more fucked up. Yeah. Maybe for Nate it's the most fucked up because it plays into his fear of death. Well, and this is, I think, what she um, would like to bring up. The arc of this first season (laughs) of of the television series Six Feet Under is Nate's fear of death. Mm -hmm. One, that Nate's biggest fear is death, and two, that he is now devoting his life to a career that uh, makes him confront that, but that he hasn't confronted it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and earlier in the episode, he's questioning, like, he's like, did I make the choice too fast to go into this career? Did I do it for the wrong reasons? And Brenda also says that she is not scared of death, which I believe. I believe she doesn't fear death. Nate makes a little bit of a Charlotte light and dark dig at her. To which Brenda um, barks at him, which I love. Which is my favorite Brenda moment, actually. Something that I love about this show is that people do laugh when stuff is funny. It's not like one of those things where it's like she barks and like Nate's mad about it. Like Nate starts laughing. It's funny. It's yeah. a good bit. The way that specifically Nate and Brenda kind of go back and forth between being pissed and tender with each other feels very real. Yeah. And then we get David oh, yeah. tying on Anthony's soccer cleats and we see another piece of this body. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting to have that happen immediately after this scene of Brenda being like, death's not scary. Yeah. And then we see this just the least funny possible death. Absolutely. As he's doing this or just after he's done it, he calls Kurt. Life affirming Kurt. I wonder here, I feel like he's calling Kurt because he wants something from him that Kurt can't give him that Keith would have been able to give him, yes. which is like emotional support. Yeah. But Kurt interprets it as like, let's hook up. And yet I also wonder if David knows that spending time with Kurt is an escape from his life. Yeah. That there is there is a kind of guaranteed escapism built into spending time with Kurt. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he needs something from Keith, but I think he also wants something from Kurt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in the next scene, he's freaking out because his quote-unquote aspirin is gone. I love this scene. David is fully losing his mind because Ruth took the full aspirin bottle. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. So, yeah. But the thing that he's losing his mind about, I guess that somebody has ecstasy, but also he's like, I was supposed to have the ecstasy. Right? What's he going to think of me? And I'm like, again, what was the plan with giving him those pills? So catch me up on y'all's read of like the intergenerationality of Kurt and David because I, I went on a journey with it and I want to know where y'all are. I would like to hear about your journey. Yeah. I will. What I'll say is that the show presents them as being like six or seven years apart in age. In reality, Stephen Pasquale is four years younger yeah. than Michael C. Hall. And what I just gleaned was that David is looking at this younger man who seems to have had a complicated coming out. Like he seems to have had like not a good time with his parents, but who just like came out of the closet when he was in his maybe late teens, maybe early 20s, and doesn't seem to have hangups about it. The thing about queerness is that depending on when you come out, you have this whole other age. People talk about like gay age, like how (gasps) many years you've been out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people who are the same age, someone's older can have it warps the Mm. the kind of the feeling of who's more experienced who's newer and greener and I think that's what we're getting a lot of anxiety from David about is that this kid is 
not only been out longer, but kind of um, breathes the air of like capital gay culture. Yes. You know, yes. like he's yes. very yes. fluent in it, in these kind of like um, slippery intimacies. He's like very good at navigating it. Yeah. And David feels like he's, you know, a kind of stunted failure. And he says, he says, I'm this old guy geek and I'm completely uncool in this world where you seem to thrive. Because at first I had the same thing of like, why are they acting like the age difference is significant? Yeah. Um, And I actually feel like there's a world in which they are only four years apart. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of experience gap. Yeah. Yeah. And also the kind of professionalism of David. He's very put together for a 31 or 32 year old. Well, and and Kurt says in the previous episode that he's in grad school. Right. So Kurt's Mm -hmm. a student. Yeah. But he, he is both like... A lot more mature than David, and also like not. I don't think he's more mature at all. I think he is or experienced. Yes, he is yeah. absolutely more experienced. That's he's more what I fluent mean. in certain kind of like yeah. codes and stuff. Well, and it's interesting what you were talking about in terms of queer time, because yes, yes. in in many ways, like David is in his like other life, because he always sets up walls between his life. Mm. He's very committed to being the adult in the room. But as um, as a gay man, he's he's basically like kind of going through his teenagehood. Yeah, I mean, speaking as somebody who also sort of came out later in life, there is there this real truth to going into a gay club and just feeling completely like everybody else knows what's going on, and yeah. I'm just they like this rules. weird baby right. walking yeah. around. And also. Kurt seems to love being gay and love the capital G, capital C culture of it, which is something that David's like, even the self-loathing aside that we've seen in like the first sort of half of the series that he seems to be coming to terms with, he doesn't want to be at a club and look relatable. Like, neither do I. No, I mean, Kurt's world is this very West Hollywood, like, Mm. bubble that, like, is... Fortunately for so many of us, not the only way yes. to do the gay <laughs> yes. thing. Yes. And like work if that's your thing. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. I know Kurtz. I love a lot of Kurtz in my life. But I do think it can be hard when you first enter these scenes and it seems like the only yes. answer. It can feel like, oh, fuck, maybe I'm just not gay enough or something. Right. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just really bad at being gay. Um. So we will go back to the club but first, Ruth and Hiram are camping still. The Chekhov's gun of the ecstasy is about to go off because Ruth has a headache and she takes some quote unquote aspirin. Ruth uh, starts talking about how you should never go camping when you're menstruating. Oh, yes. Because Just a charming anecdote to set the mood. You right? Know? Hiram is clearly like, hey, everything's really sexy. And she's like, let me tell you about the time that somebody came to the funeral home because their daughter had been mauled by a bear in her tent because she had her period when she went camping. There's a lovely way in which, um, in this episode particularly, David and Ruth get paralleled um, in terms of like people trying to engage with them in romantic and sexy ways and their like morbidity can't help but jump out. Ruth is also experiencing a kind of, um, I don't know if adolescence is the right term. I think but it sort of is. Yeah, yeah, there is something about how... She was 19 when she got married, yeah. as we've heard several times. Um, what Nathaniel Sr.'s death does and makes possible for David and Ruth that mm-hmm. I think this episode explicitly um, parallels mm-hmm. of like whether Nathaniel actually shared the hangups around David being gay. Yeah. Clearly he did. Mm-hmm. And also clearly Ruth was also unfulfilled. And there's this thing in which him dying allows them to kind of be like, well, okay, what do I want out of life? The show is very clear eyed that like that moment can happen at any point in our lives. Yes. Completely yeah. independent of the kind of progress narrative that um, specifically straight life kind of outlines for us. We do thankfully snap back to the club. <laughs> Thank God. Um, Let's get back to this club because Keith is here and his shirt 
is ribbed. It's very ribbed. It has a turtle. It has a mock neck. Yeah. Yeah. Keith is staring at David and Kurt. Keith comes in very hot when he walks over. He's He's got a lot of attitude. But first, David explains that it's an ex of his. Oh, and yes, Kurt yes, immediately yes. jumps to like, oh, are y'all still friends? Like, do you sleep together? And David's just like, so not there. This entire sequence, it just it's ratcheting up David's kind of mounting insecurity about yeah. like not being able to navigate this. Um, whereas Kurt's just horny as hell. Yes, 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 yes. Keith is coming over and it's just his energy is very intense. He sort of like makes a crack that like David didn't want to go dancing it's when accusatory, they were together. I would say. Yeah. I think he's kind of accusing David of having a posture that is not him. So then we are joined by Eddie, who is Keith's new boyfriend. Played by Paul Terrell Clayton. So Eddie is an EMT. Kurt asks if, you know, he thinks it would be possible for them to sleep together ever, you know. Yeah. Um, we just have to point out this is after Keith and Eddie yes, have yes, left. They yes. saunter off. And he has this great line um, talking about why it would be so great to sleep with these two men he just met um, with the uniforms at all. And I'm like, I wasn't aware that we we're adding EMTs to the kind of like <laughs> gay fetish. Um, like I knew like policemen, like sure, like there's a military scene yeah. definitely. You know, firemen, we start to slip off a little bit. Right. And EMTs, uh, not that I was aware of, but I'm glad that Kurt's just like an equal opportunity pervert who just wants to sexualize anything related to masculinity. This brings on one of my favorite lines of the show. David says, is dating an excuse for you to see what you want to be when you grow up? And then Kurt is is basically like... Is, is dating a way for you to figure out what you wish you had been? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the punctuation is... David's down. Peerless in that they just start making out. Yep. But while they're making out, David is just aggressively staring at Keith. Totally, it's totally. Really, it's really weird. Yeah. Um, we leave the club just briefly. We leave one club for another, one could say. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> the club Ruth, of the great outdoors. Ruth has taken those pills. I just wrote in all caps, Ruth is tripping. MDMA is not a hallucinogen. No. I mean, like, let's be very... I, I do think it's important, like, as a PSA, MDMA is not a hallucinogen. Although I love the sequence. Like it's I'm very great, I'm very torn. But it seems as if Ruth has dropped acid. Absolutely. Right? Kurt couldn't have given him a different drug. I think that would be a reach that I don't think the writers yeah, are capable of. I don't of. think it's I really true. I really think they in the show they just treat the pill as whatever they need for the character and then just run with it. And yeah. I actually adore that about it. But the rewatch was a little like but it's okay because we get this. We get a classic Ruth sequence. I'm not and mad classic, about like, it. Like six feet under sequence. Oh, we, but first we're back at the club. We briefly go back to the yes. club where on Keith, the dance floor. On the dance floor, Keith's dancing. Sad, sad, wow. angry dancing. Yeah. Wow, that angry teddy bear dancing <laughs> was a big old mood. Yeah, I mean, it's also he's just one of those guys. that's just so muscular. It's like hard for him to move sometimes. You know, yeah. it's like, you're just like you're like, oh, this is difficult for you. Yeah. Um, your body is actually not meant for. He's this. like dancing and grimacing. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a dark energy. Yeah, and Eddie. Is Eddie even around? I actually didn't clock that. Where he did is. Eddie go? Eddie's Com- around, but like completely oblivious. Completely yeah, Eddie's oblivious. just like I'm having a great time. I'm an EMT. People fantasize about that for some reason and and he's watching uh kurt and david dancing and kurt gives david poppers it's unclear all i know is that keith's reaction is insane (laughs) can you imagine him having to explain that to his like partners having a great time like i'm sorry babe i just saw my ex do drugs we have to leave that's that sucks for his fucking boyfriend. Yeah. Like <laughs> Eddie seems to like bloom where he's planted, though. I gotta say, yeah, Eddie's no, just true. like, okay, we're going. Yeah, I we're going. That's yeah. fine. We go back to Ruth 
full tripping. Right. It is it is like bluish purple like filter on the camera. Yes. Gorgeous. I would I would roll more if this is what the world looks she's like. She's in like no, this totally. like immaculate white nightgown. Like she's going to Narnia. I love that nightgown. I want that nightgown. She hugs a tree and like laughs like orgasmically. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then we're back. And then we're back. Yeah. Okay, so then we're back with David and Kurt. And David finds Kurt making out with a blonde gentleman. He's not, like, rejecting David. He wants to have a threesome. David doesn't want this. There, there did seem to be this presumption that as soon as David learned this guy was a fuck machine, he would be in unquestioned, yeah. which mm-hmm. does seem to be a misread of David's general affect. Um, So David bids a fun farewell to Kurt. David is sort of like, thank you, not my thing gotta go it's 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 self-aware of him yeah it's the start of him figuring out that like i am gay just not this kind of gay yes. you know like yes. he just needs to figure out what the serious way yeah. to do it yeah. is yeah. um yeah there's a really brief scene of nate and brenda yeah that's and what i was gonna say we see them and it's a really it's a sweet little scene actually he's basically just freaked out by the notion of brenda dying and brenda gets that and she sort of soothingly says everyone dies which is like Brenda Brand soothing, but yeah. also true. Ruth continues her trip. She meets the bear. He is the kind of path maker for her. Yes. yes. I think he's supposed to be like the March Hare, basically. Mm, oh, totally. Because yeah. he's got the hat and yeah. the... Um, is it the March Hare? Well, he's marching through that forest. <laughs> the, March the March Bear. bear. There's like distant ballet music playing. Oh, yeah. Which is a great... Like you can, you can only sort of hear it. So Nate Sr. in this vision... I, I just think he is so sexy. Totally. He's so like playful, impish, very into it. Nate Sr. like kind of apologizes for being a cruddy husband. And we, you know, as always, we must remind everybody that whenever Nate Sr. is apologizing for anything, it is the person fantasizing that he is apologizing. <laughs> yes. It is, it is the person apologizing to themselves. To themselves, yes. He's also like, hey, maybe you should hook up with Nikolai. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, again, this is Ruth talking to herself mm-hmm. and, and she's kind of like, oh, but then she's like, hmm. <laughs> And then they they reminisce about this is this hearse that was always stalling and it stalled out when they were on their way back from Malibu for a funeral for a jazz musician. I do love uh, she talks about kind of questioning what happened to them because they did have this. It sounds like they really had a heat when they were first together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And they're like, what happened to us? And he says, life happened to us. And She's like, I want that. And he says, find it again, um, mm. which well, I think is really beautiful. He yeah. says, we watch each other grow old. And Ruth, like going back to that, how she's sort of in her own adolescence, yeah. she says, but we're not old. Yeah. So Nathaniel lifts up the hood of the car and says that he can't really fix it. And it's full of vines. And she oh, pushes the yeah. vines away. And it's the gravestone that has on the one side Nathaniel uh, Sr.'s name and his death dates. And then on the right side is Ruth's name. Yeah. She kind of runs her hand across her birth date and then the hyphen with no death date yet. Yeah. And it's this profound moment for her. It's really beautiful. Will this ever happen if you take MDMA? Absolutely no. not. However, I'm very happy it did for Ruth. So then then they start making out and then it's not cut to, but like we're at the next morning and Hiram is making food and Ruth is wearing the hell out of a scrunchie. Well, first she's naked. 
She wakes up naked. Well, she in the wakes tent. up with naked. leaves in her hair. Yeah. I just think that it's so smart the way that throughout the series, like where Ruth's hair is, is where her head is the at. Hair yeah. Totally. And it's sort of like half up but in a loose velvet scrunchie and it's just like she's like I'm ready to see what life has to offer me like I'm cautiously optimistic it turns out she really uh got with Hiram the previous evening and then she sort of is like huh he's he's like it was great this was awesome and she laughs, laughs like an absolute psychopath oh it's amazing it's, so incredible. it's an incredible moment it's so wonderful uh, then we are very abruptly at Anthony's <sighs> yes. funeral. There's a lot of different moods in this episode. Yes. Yeah. And the transitions are very like, we're in a very like, not light, but we're in like a happier place. And then suddenly we'll be kind of at this, this funeral sort of is like the crux of everything. And we'll be back in this mood. And David notes that Nate is in a new suit. Yeah. Nate's in a suit. He looks great. Um, David says that he failed the funeral director's licensing exam the first time too. And then he says, I fuck up a lot, which I thought was really sweet. It's a big admission from David. It totally is. We see Claire sort of watching. She's in a black dress. She's kind of back from everybody else. She's watching the funeral and she's sort of like staring longingly at Gabe in a way that is so painful. Yeah. Just painful for everyone. Yeah. And then, and then Gabe comes over to her and he and Gabe asks, and this is like really sad. He asks why she's being so nice to him. Yeah. And then Sam, Anthony's father, shows up and Ugh. he's presumably drunk and he starts just beating the crap Ugh. out of Gabe and it's really rough. So Claire yells at the stepfather about the gun and Nate really pulls him back. So then Nate cor- sort of cordons Anthony's dad off. Um, Anthony's dad calls Claire a bitch just some fun casual (laughs) misogyny from an adult to a child Nate sort of like stops being polite and starts getting real as we say and like gives a speech that sort of shouldn't work but does I think it I think Nate crosses a line here yeah this is actually my heaven can't Nate moment this man is not a good man obviously Um, Mm -hmm. on that we can agree it really feels like Nate just doing like a drag show of Brenda's perspective on right. death yeah you know, right. it really feels yeah. like nate's just lip syncing for his life and like <laughs> um, trying to like try it on for size yeah. in a way that feels wildly inappropriate for me given the context i found the moment really noxious and it, it the, the show isn't clear about its perspective on well, it i was that's what yeah. i was gonna say which is... i think is what's hard to read about it, it just feels inauthentic for him ruth is back from camping we're gonna put my favorite sound clip in here oh david you must go camping it's so spectacular up there right now and what I love about that moment is that, like, there's a way in which the show posits that she's actually, like, better at having these experiences impact her positively. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, this is her own version of, like, nightlife in a club. And yeah. she came out far better than he did. Yeah, you know? she doesn't have a hangover. Oh. No. Ruth is such a fascinating character because she's so traditional and she's so kind of, like, set in her ways. But she's also really willing to go to these places now that Nate Senior is gone. She honestly has like, you know, for somebody who's so buttoned up all the time, she has sort of the wildest, most chaotic energy of any of the Fishers, including Claire. So we see Claire tell David and Ruth that Gabe is the foot guy. Yeah. And Claire's clear, like she is, she looks sad and wrecked, like genuinely. And this is the one moment actually like, like Ruth coming down off MDMA when she's like, Claire, I noticed you look sad. Can I ask you about it? Wow. It only took nine episodes. <laughs> yeah. A drug experience, et cetera. 
And then we see Chekhov's aspirin bottle significantly yes. shown because there's still one more pill in there. He's going to get it. I actually think I remember. I remember, yeah. <laughs> Eric is nodding. <laughs> um, so in our last scene, which is very beautiful, um, Claire is in her room with Gabe and he's weeping on her lap. And Claire is just holding him and she just looks, I mean, it's complicated. Yeah. It's a very like Pieta pose. It is both beautiful and also very sad because of the distance between them. Yeah. You know, like the way that we register how Claire is thinking about how far away she is from him, even yeah. though they're yeah. in close comfort. And I feel like yeah. that's also a thing the show is the fixation of the show is um, uh, the chasms within intimacy, the ways that people who are really close to each other can yeah. be immensely far apart from each other mm-hmm. and how disorienting that can be. He's being vulnerable in some ways to her, and yet he's very inaccessible to her in other ways. Yeah. Yeah, you just see, like, the the danger, like, the, yeah. the red flags inherent in this yeah. moment, even as it is also, like, a really tender moment. Because we've had, like, five different people this episode be like, Gabe is bad news. Yeah. And, you know, every time Claire's just like, no, I'm, I'm walking right into this, like, with my eyes open. So, Eric, we grade the episodes. Do you want to go first or last? Yeah, or, I mean, oh, yeah. it's having, I feel like I, I, I'm one of those people that I want to like watch the entire series and then go back and grade everything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I love a context. I would say it's either uh, like a really robust B plus or an A minus. It's like hovering <gasps> yes. right around there. It's mm-hmm. a, for me, after following some quite weak episodes, mm, um, yes. it has a lot going on. I love all of the different tonal registers and yeah. I think the overall arc of um, the death, and again, this is also since the pilot, the only death that's been directly related to the Fishers, mm-hmm. um, and I love what it does for the kind of emotional architecture. So I think it's a really strong episode. I agree that it is like a B plus plus or an A minus. Yeah. Everything you said plus, I mean, Ruth is in a nightgown following a bear through the forest. What's not to love? Um, yeah. Claire's outfits are amazing. We didn't even get into it, but she looks so beautiful this whole episode. It has the Brenda stuff that I love. Brenda and the scarf will forever etched in my memory mm-hmm. yeah it's a really great episode i think i'm around the same page as you guys uh i would i think i'd give it a b plus um mm. i think it's it's got a lot of really good stuff it's got a lot of good ruth stuff mm. and i love a ruth episode yeah. but i also think the best episode of six feet under like every separate story like links together in this like profound thematic way mm-hmm. and i don't know if there's like a really strong link between the separate stories in this sure 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 so for that reason i'd give it a b plus but i really like this episode Eric, where can people find you? Um, I mean, anywhere, but on the internet specifically. <laughs> I mean, you can give GPS coordinates should you want. Um, there are certainly some bars where you can find me at sure. many Friday <laughs> sure. nights, although sure. um, I'll leave that to you to discover in the wild. Yes. Um, the, the main place to hear more of my rantings is on Twitter. Yes. On the Twitter. Um, great. My nice. handle is just my name, Eric Schether, E-R-I-C-S-H-E-T-H-A-R. I tweet about men who won't text me back, things I'm compulsively watching, Uh and sometimes live performance, if I remember that that's my job. Beautiful. Um, Eric, thank you so much for taking this journey with us. I couldn't think of better company. Thank you so much for having me. Will you come back? Absolutely. Amazing. Yes. Absolutely. Because okay, I'm not over 16. You know, I'm just, oh my God. I'm not over it. So clearly, <laughs> clearly. So Same we have to title. keep working through it. Yes, beautiful. please come back. Right? Yeah. We'll see you soon. Fantastic. For links to everything we talked about today and more information about us, visit our website at notoversfu.com. 
If you like the show, please subscribe, tell a friend about it, and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. You can write to us at notoversfu at gmail.com or give us a shout on Twitter at notoversfu. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Caroline, at Caroline V. McGee. And you can find me, Jenna, at Second Husk. You can find our producer, Allison Cherry, at Allison underscore Cherry. That's one L in Allison. Our theme song was written by Matt Berger and Melissa Lusk. Our logo was designed by Caitlin Trishiani. Until next time, be like David and accidentally add a whole new dimension to your mother's camping trip.